You're listening to episode 44 of the National Centre for Writing podcast. Every week we talk about the writing life and discover exciting new projects. It's the 15th of May 2019 here at Dragon Hall in Norwich. I'm Simon Jones and I'm joined by my exceptional colleagues Steph McKenna Hello. and Alice Kent. Hi Simon. Coming up today we've got an interview with Belgian writer Kathleen Vereken, but first, Alice, what are you reading? Oh, at the moment, that's a very apt question for what we're going to be talking about later. I popped into Norwich Castle yesterday, which has a fantastic exhibition of photography by uh, W.G. Sebald. And I picked up a book um, from the gift shop museum about Sebald and kind of um, looking at his work more through the lens of uh, the tradition of the literary walk. Um, it's by a man called Marcus uh, Zisselberger, I think is how you say it. Um, so yeah, quite relevant to what we're going to be talking about on the podcast today. That does sound really interesting, actually. It's really good. It's so good. It's one of those books. It's quite expensive, but you see it. Is it, it a big like coffee table it's kind of, it's, book? It's not that big, it's, but it's, it was about 20 quid. So it was oh, it's not too bad. <laughs> not too ever. bad, but it was kind of one of those books that you want it so much, it's just like, whatever, buy yeah. it. You don't <laughs> even think it. about the cost. So. Yeah, that, so that is, that is relevant because the other thing we want to talk about before we get on to... Kathleen is uh, this new book that we have coming out next week. Next, yeah, next Tuesday. Yeah, so this is uh, Walking Norwich, the real and imagined city. Yeah, it's been a really nice project to work on. Um, we've invited 10 writers who are based in the city. Most of them live in Norwich um, or have a very strong connection to the city. They grew up here or were born here. Um, and we've invited them to give us a, uh, a walk around Norwich that they really love um, and kind of look at it through how it interplays with their writing and how going for a walk might impact on your writing. Um, so it's kind of more than a sort of a tourist book. It's not just a kind of go here, look at this building, move on, look at this statue, although it does have some elements of that. It's more about how kind of writing and walking intermix and the role of the city and how Norwich does inspire so many writers and so many writers are drawn here. Um, so yeah, we've got 10 fantastic writers, um, Booker Prize winners. Um, we've got Sarah Hall, John McGregor, Emma Healy, as well as some up and coming writers, um, Ashley Hickson Lovins, who's just had his debut published. So it's kind of a nice spread of um, sort of very established writers and up and coming writers. And some non-writers, we've got James Benedict Brown, who teaches the architecture course at the Arts University. Mm. Um, so a kind of a new, different angle on things from him. Um, with some lovely maps alongside it, which have been... It's lovely, yeah, the packaging around yeah. it, the way it's actually presented in book form is really lovely yeah. as well, isn't it? We kind of wanted it to be a nice sort of visual thing as well. And uh, Madison Graphic, um, who are based in Norwich, did the design work for it and printed by Page Brothers, also a Norwich company, so it's got that kind it's of all nice... Homegrown. It's all Norwich UNESCO <laughs> City of Literature, homegrown. It's obviously orange, because everything we do is orange. Yeah. Orange-ish. <laughs> Very on brand for us. Um, yeah. So and it's going to be... People are going to be able to get it, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually going to be free, um, which I think was quite important for us and quite important for a lot of the writers involved, mm. that it's something that anyone can pick up and find out more about Norwich as UNESCO City of Literature and why it, we've got that status and what that means. It's going to be available in independent bookshops around the city, so also a nice way of encouraging people to go out and explore bookshops. Mm. So yeah, it's going to be free. There's going to be an online version, which Simon has been putting together over the last couple of weeks, so um, anyone can download these pieces. The intention is that we can keep adding to it, so people who live in Norwich or visit the city who get to love a particular area of it can submit their own walks to us. And they can be kind of in such a variance of styles, and that's what's quite nice about the walks is they do 
they're kind of very different. Some mm. are quite sort of factual journeys. Um, Hugh Aldersley Williams, for instance, talks about Thomas Brown, and it is kind of, I mean, it's a beautiful piece, but it's quite factual about his life. Um, others are very much more flights of fancy, and they, you know, they, they reference like creative writing. Yeah, pieces, more I creative guess, writing right. pieces. They reference bits of the city, but they're kind of they're more sort of. I think Sarah Hall talks about the parkland of the mind and mm. how kind of walking um, quite often sort of frees up the writing process because subconsciously you're working through problems whilst mm. you're going mm. for a walk, and it kind of touches on that as well. So anyway, yeah, we'd like people to send in their own walks, uh, bits of the city they love or inspire them or hidden corners not everybody knows about and we'll keep publishing a selection online. Yeah, and I think the book does such a good job of being both an interesting read and all these pieces by the writers, mm. even, even if you're not out for a walk, mm, mm. it's just a great little book to read with lots of different styles yeah. and then you also learn about nice walks at the same time. Yeah. Mm, it kind of does mm. both of those things simultaneously. Yeah, and that was kind of the hope for it and it was... It's quite an open brief, so when sort of asking writers if they wanted to be involved, it was kind of, um, you know, a lot of them were sort of, oh, does it have to follow a particular path and does it, and it was kind of some do and some don't, um, we kind of wanted that because there's a lot of, you know, you can find a guidebook to walk in Norwich, you can find out about the history of Norwich, there's all sorts of fantastic websites that will tell you that and visit Norwich and um, have got great sort of literary walks that they run as well, um, but we wanted this to because we're about writing and we're about UNESCO City of Literature to be a different way of doing that. We also sort of want to celebrate how many writers work here and are inspired by the city and some have a connection to the university and some don't. Um, and it's just a really creative place, which mm. I think those of us who live here know that. Um, and it's just a nice way of showing that through the kind of creative um, eye of the people who, mm. who live here. It showcases the past and the present, doesn't it? So yeah. I guess a lot of the time when we're talking about Norwich as a UNESCO city of literature, you know, we're thinking back to Thomas Brown and all of these sort of really important historical elements. But also, you know, it's a city of literature because there are so many writers and creatives working here yeah, today. Absolutely. So it is that nice kind yeah, of Yeah, the point is that both. it's still a city of yes, literature. Yeah. It's not a historical yeah, yeah. No, state. It's still doing amazing yeah. things. And that's really what we wanted it to kind of show is that because um, I mean, there's a little blurb at the beginning which says a bit more about why Norwich got the UNESCO City of Literature status, which is things like you talk about stuff, you know, Thomas Brown um, writing here hundreds of years ago and Julian of Norwich, who mm. wrote the first book to be published by a woman in the English language and Amelia Opie and Harriet Martineau and, you know, all kinds of incredible people who have been sort of real world changers in mm. their thinking and writing. But still today, Norwich has, I think, the most visited library in the country yeah. in terms of um, books borrowed, um, it's got a huge independent publishing scene with mm. fantastic local publishers. And, and like you say, all these writers who are based here, who you know, are inspired by the city today. So I think that kind of past and present and future mm. um, very much comes through with it and sort of, sort of physically comes through with it. Mm. In Kieran Pym's walk, you know, he talks about, he kind of walk, he goes from Magdalene Gates, the medieval archway, down through into Anglia Square and he talks about seeing that change from the medieval to the Georgian to the Victorian to the 60s and you literally walk over that mm. history. And the timing of the release of the book is also important because it's coming out next week which is when a big event called Notwitch is happening. Yes, yeah, it's a really exciting event. Um, for the first time the global UNESCO Cities of Literature are holding their annual summit in England 
um, and it's a two-city event, um, a tale of two cities. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so we did that. Yeah. <laughs> Between um, some co-hosts of Norwich and Nottingham, two of um, England's UNESCO Cities of Literature. Hence it's the first time that someone's Norwich. hosted. Yeah, the first time that two cities have done that as well. So it's a really nice way. They come to Norwich on Monday, um, explore the city here. They go to the Sainsbury Centre. They're doing the Talking Statues trail that we've currently got, on, got going on in Norwich. Um, to the Millennium Library. Millennium Library are doing a nice launch. They're going to present um, the library with a children's book from all of UNESCO Cities of Literature. So they're going to get 28 children's books for the library. It's a really nice kind of permanent collection that people can borrow and take out. Um, so yeah, they're going to spend a couple of days in Norwich and then they all get on a bus and go to Nottingham. And um, in Norwich, they've got a evening with Ali Smith. And then on the Wednesday evening, they are having a lecture with Robert McFarlane. Um, and exploring all the sites of Nottingham and what makes Nottingham such a great city of literature. So we're yeah really looking forward to it. It's been months, years in the planning, yeah. um, and it's all starting next week. Um, it's a very exciting time to show. I, I like being able to show off our city. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, yeah. I love bringing friends to the city to show it off. But it's really nice to you know at work as well to have these yeah. guests and be be able to show yeah. off Dragon Hall, the city, all it's of these true. different elements. Yeah. It's true. And the city of literature network is mm. vast as well. You know, it's from all around the world, yeah. Yeah. many different continents, yeah. and they're yeah. all coming here. To have yeah. a look at Norwich, yeah. which is lovely. It's incredible, and it's a really good showcase for the city. And yeah, like you say, we've got people from Baghdad, Barcelona, Melbourne, uh, Melbourne, you know, all over the world. Mm. And I was going to say every continent, but I've been corrected. There's not every continent because we haven't got the <laughs> Antarctica. <all> Damn. <laughs> next time, <laughs> next time, maybe we will. next time. <laughs> and cities of literature is one strand of the UNESCO Creative Cities thing. Mm. There's there's music mm -hmm. and film and all sorts of other topics. Gastronomy. Sorry, that yes. I good. wish we were a city of food. Yeah, we <laughs> could work on that. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, for people who are maybe not as familiar with what it is and what mm. it's for, it's kind of there to celebrate cities that have a history and a present mm. that are kind mm. of celebrating these different forms mm. and are doing yeah. things to keep them in the public eye and keep them relevant yeah. in the modern world. Well, yeah. It's a really good way of driving regeneration and sort of collaboration and partnerships in the cities. In the UK, the Creative Cities Network contributes 2.4 million to the economy. So, you know, it's a really valuable network for us mm. as well as the kind of cultural sort of um, significance of it. And I think that kind of cross art form point that you've raised is really important. And as part of Notwitch, we wanted to bring in other art forms, not just mm. writing. And we held a um, branding competition for the Notwitch logo. Um, we invited students from Norwich University of the Arts and Nottingham Trent University, both of which got two of the best design departments in the country, mm. to um, design the branding for Notwitch. And um, we had a nice big competition and went and briefed the students. And then the overall winner was selected by um, Dunedin, UNESCO City of Literature. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the branding is by a communications design student, Evie Clark, who's in her final year, I think, mm. at the Arts University here in Norwich. And her brand is going to be on the castle side when you've yep. done a very nice animation working with her. Mm -hmm. um, we've animated the logo, which is going to go up on the walls of the castle on Monday and Tuesday evening. She designed our tote bags, which she designed are hot our tote property, bags. it would seem. Few and far wants between. A, everyone wants a Notwitch tote bag now. I <laughs> know, oh, they're so beautiful. They do look really lovely. Yeah, yeah premium product, but they're so nice. <laughs> Um, and not which folders and all sorts of things. So her brand is kind of you know being rolled out. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really nice way of sort of working with other sort of creative people in the city and getting other people involved. So to to segue back towards our main interview this episode, um, Kathleen Verikum was here 
at Dragon Hall for about a month, I believe, mm. as our writer-in-residence, which is kind of another aspect of being a UNESCO City of Literature, which is that we want to bring writers from around the world and around the country to, to Norwich to stay here mm. because we have this cottage on the campus here yes. where people can stay and write and be in the kind of Dragon Hall medieval environment. Yeah, it was lovely to have Kathleen here actually mm. because she sat in the window of the cottage yeah, and, yeah. and did some writing, you know, she was doing her writing every day in the window so we could see her from the office and it was really nice a to real be like, oh, actually yes, there's a writer at work on this campus mm. whilst we were in the office. And I think her work is kind of very much inspired by medieval. Yeah. Yeah, she was working on a project specifically that is set in medieval yeah. times and exploring that and I think the notion of being in a medieval building while she was doing some of this writing really appealed to yeah, her. Yeah, and she won some big uh, Dutch or European writing mm, prize while mm. she was here in here, so she had to pop back to Amsterdam, pick up her prize, and then come back come again. Come back again. So, yeah, but I think that writers in residence thing is so good, and I think they're all different. Some writers come and they spend time focused on a particular writing project. Some writers just uh, would like more experience going out into yeah, the city, yeah, don't they? So going to meet sort of schools yeah. and young people and lead workshops. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Some writers who come from much further afield want mm. to explore the UK yeah. in general and mm. Norwich is a nice hub from which they can kind of go off mm. and find other places mm. and I think everyone gets something slightly different out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Kathleen has worked as a freelance journalist. She's written historical novels for young adults, books for children... And her first novel for adults was published in 2016, and yet she was here writing her next project. Um, so we've got Sarah Bauer asking the questions this time around, and uh, without further ado, let's hand over to Sarah and Kathleen. I sometimes have oat milk in my coffee. I don't think I've had almond in before, so this is a, it's a new a, treat. To it's, new it's, uh, it's new to me as well, because uh, I, I had oat uh, before, because there was oat in the... In the refrigerator when yeah. I arrived, but almond works fine as well. I love I almond yogurt. Uh, the, yes. The almond milk yogurt. Yes. So do I. Delicious. <laughs> so, um, I, I thought maybe we would start the conversation because you've now sadly coming very near the end of your residency. Yes, here. it's quite shocking. I, it's too sad. I can't ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do feel a bit sad as well. The month has gone by so so fast yeah. uh, yes there were so many interesting things to do mm. and to see and so many interesting people to talk to <laughs> and of course uh, I had to do some writing as well yes I mean that that's that's the great thing about residences and I've done them in the past myself and there is that that the, the being taken out of your daily life mm -hmm. um, and being given time to write and I wondered how that would work for you while you've been here, if, if you felt it had been successful. Uh, I think I've written a bit less than I had expected to do. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that's okay. Um, I, uh, I have put my novel really on track now. Uh, I have found the right tone here. I, um, and that's, that's the most important mm. thing. Um, I didn't manage doing that at home and it's such a privilege to be in an, um, this environment where I have on one hand my, my own little cottage and, and time. The only thing I have to do here is write and well take care of my, my, my own meals mm. but that's, that's nothing compared <laughs> to what I have to do at home. Um, and um, I was worried a bit in the beginning that 
too many activities would distract me too much from writing. But when you're here on your own, you you really need that mm. as well. It, it would get a little bit lonely if, mm. if there wouldn't be uh, all those activities and the interesting people to talk yeah. to. And I have really, really enjoyed those as well. Good. That's great. And that's good to know because uh, it's obviously everybody you find a, a different balance with mm -hmm. um and sometimes people come and their their main their main um purpose is to do a lot of networking and that kind of thing but then we we, we you know we understood that you wanted to come and, and write here and be inspired by being in a medieval city another medieval city um which obviously is very different from your own but um i hope you found that that when you can look out of the building at the hall and and then we have the Julian Chapel nearby and the cathedral and that I hope you found that inspiring. Yes, definitely. Uh, it's lovely to just look around the corner and the, see the 15th century yes. <laughs> Dragon Hall because yeah. that's exactly the age where my my novel is set. Um, and Norwich is also perfect because to me I don't know perhaps you recognize that to me the combination of walking and writing is essential. Yeah. Yes, walking clears your mind yes. and Norwich is just perfect for that. Um, it's not too big. There are many inspiring, quiet places to mm. go to. Of course, you, you just mentioned uh, some of these, yeah. the, the, the Julian's Chapel and then I love the cathedral. Then you have uh, this beautiful rosary cemetery. Yeah. Um, they have really helped me mm. to... to keep my mind to make my mind clear again and to focus on what I, I, I want to write and to get in in the right atmosphere. Yeah. So I think walking is fantastic for it as you say, it does clear the mind. I always find that if all else fails, go out for a walk. It's true. Um which uh yeah, um Norwich is nice for that. There are there yes. are some lovely places. Mm -hmm. to go to so I'm glad that's been that's been useful for you and you've been doing some writing in the cathedral cafe I believe as yes. well <laughs> yes and that worked very yeah. well yes yeah and it's not so far from here so no yeah. no 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 uh, uh, a, a bit of buzz around you can help mm. uh, because I I I tend to get distracted and I'm always so relieved when I hear that other writers have the same problem. <laughs> all the time. Yes. All the time. I, I curse the invention of Amazon. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, just go and do shopping. And <laughs> yes, yes, it's true. And social media yes. and, and everything. Yes. And, um, well, sitting in a different environment, it's very important not to to know the, 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 the password of the <laughs> I think that's very wise, yes, I agree with you, yeah. Um, so uh, it, it, works, it works very well. I've, I've written, I was amazed at how much I could write that's there. Great. Yes. Yes, I sometimes wonder with the internet, I, I do sometimes think, shall I go back to writing initial drafts by hand? So that I'm nowhere near a computer, yes. which, you know, obviously one used to do before we routinely had laptops. I don't know whether I will or not. I don't know whether my hand's up to it. But <laughs> maybe, maybe you should try it. It's, yeah. it's slower. It's a lot slower than, than typing. Yeah. Uh, but um, I sometimes do it in the summer, uh, in the back of my yes. garden, for example. Yeah. Um, not a whole book, but, but yeah. parts of it. and. Also, kind of that, that whole nice notebook thing, you know, that you can have 
<laughs> nice notebooks. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I wanted to show them. They're, they're in my uh, in my bag. I have all these different notebooks. Oh dear. People um, often give me notebooks as a present, um, but they're so beautiful. Yes. It's so hard to start you using them. <laughs> you feel unworthy, don't yes. you? Yes. Yes. So, Kathleen, would you? Are you prepared to tell us a little bit about, I quite understand if you don't want to go into details because people don't always, but a little bit about the book that you're writing now that mm -hmm. you've been working on while you've been staying with us. Yes. I grew up uh, in Ghent and uh, one of the most famous works of art uh, you can see there is the Ghent altarpiece by Jan and Hubert van, e van Eyck. Mm -hmm. Um, and oh, it's a magnificent painting, um, a very big painting, uh, lots of scenes, uh, <clears throat> the mystic lamp in the middle, um, there's God, there's Mary, there's John the Baptist and so on, Adam, Eve. Uh, 2020 will be the International Van Eyck year. I think it will be 600 years ago that they started painting it. Okay. Yes. Now, there have been a lot of expositions uh, in Ghent, uh, theme expositions around the Ghent altarpiece. And um, one of them was about the family history uh, of the, the brothers. Mm -hmm. And um, they seem to have had well another brother and a sister of whom we don't know anything. Margareta. Well, in English we'd say Margaret, but I want to stick to Margareta. It sounds prettier. Yes, I like it, it does. Yeah. <laughs> and the only things we know about her is that she was a gifted painter herself, although we don't know what she painted. She may have been a miniaturist like so mm -hmm. many women in those days. Um, and that she died as a virgin. Um, and uh, from our point of view, as 21st century women, we might think uh, that it's a bit pitiful to have to die <laughs> as a virgin, never have known the joys of sex. But um, for women in the, in the late Middle Ages, it, it was um, a, a very good choice, I think, because not being a virgin meant you, you, you would get married, you would have to <clears throat> obey your husband, you would um, get one child after the other, yeah. uh, a lot of grieving because many children died. Indeed, yes. yes. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been possible for a woman to develop her skills and her talents. Mm. So being a virgin was the only way for a woman to, to be able to do things in life mm. she she wanted to do. Yeah. And actually, um, to me, that resonates with the conversation we had earlier about the notion of coming away on a residence, mm -hmm. that in order to pursue one's art, yes. one has to sometimes withdraw from family life. Yes. You know, as you said, you at home, you have all sorts of obligations that you don't have here. And likewise, we all do. Yes. Um, but, and, and it is that... It, I guess Margareta just took a life decision to withdraw entirely from that mm -hmm. kind of life and yes. devote herself to her work. Yes. Um, but we do all have to do it, I think, in order to get the artistic work done. I don't get the same sense that male writers and artists mm -hmm. have to do that either or. No. Even in this day and age, mm -hmm. 
you know, that I see a direct line from a woman like Margareta to women like you and I mm-hmm. in the 21st century. Absolutely. Still having to balance those yes. demands yes. in a way that I really don't think male writers have to do. It's strange, isn't it? Because I consider myself as an emancipated woman and I suppose... Likewise, yes. Yes. Of course. Um, and still, um, I do feel responsible for so many things yes. at home all the time. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm being sandwiched between the generations right now. Yes. yes. And you can't just say, well, pff, I don't care. Uh, it's, it's not possible. And I don't know why that is, that men still tend to focus better mm. uh, and say, okay, I'm a writer. I'm writing a book now. I have to do this. Yes. So I'm going to take the time for myself and and just do it just write the book i think you've hit on something that there's also a social expectation mm-hmm. i mean you say at the moment you're sandwiched between the generations i know you have a, a, a new grandchild and you mm-hmm. have parents you're looking after um i also have grandchildren whom i love dearly but are quite demanding mm-hmm. um i think though society expects women to be content to take that responsibility. It doesn't expect the same of fathers, grandfathers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yes, perhaps, partly. But I I, um, I do feel bad by myself if I don't do all these things. Um, and, and it's very hard to figure out whether it are the eyes of society or my own eyes who... <laughs> um, it's... Uh, I, I suppose it's we're all the um, result of the the time and the culture we we grew up yeah, in, I think so, and yeah. and that makes it hard to mm. see where where one thing ends and and another thing starts. Mm. It's uh, yes, yes. To get back to Margareta, you mentioned um, that a lot of women were miniaturists at that mm-hmm. time, yes. women artists. Why do you think that was? Um, because often um, it's, um, I think it's a, a bit like an illustrator's work. Often they they illuminated manuscripts. Uh, uh, that that was um, mainly a woman's job, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and it's not an art in itself. It's serving the text uh, when you illustrate. I, I don't know whether there's that might have been the reason or um, it would have been considered something for a woman's hand, the, the yeah. fine work and the fact that they were just very, very small paintings. Yeah. I don't know. I have never uh, wondered what, what could have been the reason for that. I, to my mind, there's always a sense that women's art, e- even in a period when women had a very, very restricted place socially. Their art could be a bit subversive. You mean that the art they made was a bit subversive yeah. in the... Yes. Uh, um, I, I think art had a completely different meaning in those days than it has today. Uh, today we have... Uh, there's a French expression, l'art pour l'art. Just art for the art sake for of sake. Es- yes, yes. For, uh, for for expressing yourself and the most individual expression of the most individual emotion. 
Um, but um, art in general was really a craft to men and women, I think, in okay. those days. Yes. Uh, you had the guilds, um, yeah. also the, the painters' guilds. And there were very strict rules about um, how one had to paint and how things had to be organized. And there were not um, so many individual artists, but most of them had um, employees yes, as well. Yes, so they had a studio. Yes, yeah. yes. How, yeah. do you, how do you call these? Um, um, we Actually, I think we would probably use the French word atelier. Uh, yes, so they would have an atelier, right, an atelier and people working in it. Yes, um, you could say a studio, but I think yes. atelier works better somehow. Yes, the minds of medieval people um, were fundamentally different from our minds. That's something that's so so strange. Uh, um, the way, yes, the the whole society evolved around religion. Yes, uh, around class differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, around the the very strict ideas about men and women and what you could do and what you couldn't do. So um, I think just expressing oneself wasn't... that's It's a very contemporary conception of what art is, I think. We've talked a bit about research and finding out the facts. You know, we were talking about whether Margareta would have been in the guilds I wonder, as a historical novelist, what you think the relationship between the known facts and our imaginations is? That's a good question. (laughs) Um, You need both, obviously. Um, But I always um, respect the facts. Mm -hmm. I I think you need that as, um, as a frame. And, and as more than a frame, as the the, the skeleton. Yes, yes. You, yeah. you you really. What was that word? The Sca- Flemish word for scaffolding. Scaffolding. The scaffolding Stelling. on the outside. That's Stelling. 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 Yes. I tried to remember that the other day. <laughs> yes, yes. I just wanted to use the word skeleton because that that would also be also yes. good. Yes. yes. You, I I really need uh, those, but. Um, it's it's a difficult balance, of course, because then you put in the flesh will be the the imagination and and, and the whole world you create around it. But I I think, uh, and I know not everybody agrees, but I I really want to respect history and the facts that mm. we know. Although there is one but, um. We have to be critical towards history and and the chronicles that have been written throughout the ages. Who wrote them? Yes, Yes, of course, because well, the the cliche says history has been uh, written by those who won all the wars and and the strong ones and uh, the lucky ones. Um, But um, when you see how (laughs) how many historians don't agree about what is said sure. about history, yeah. then I think we should allow ourselves some freedom once in a while and choose that interpretation that suits us best to yes. write out, to, to tell our story. Um, so, uh, but it takes a lot of research. Uh, it, it takes a lot of research because um, before you're able to, to make those choices, I think, it, it 
takes a lot of reading first. You really have to drown yourself with all the information and then or trying to, to put an order in the things and, and make your choices. Yes, I, I think I like the drowning yourself in the information. Yeah. I like that image because I do think I, I, you have to soak or immerse yourself in your yes. period in order to start to think like the characters you're mm -hmm. creating. So, you know, you, you, we've mentioned the prevalence of religious thinking mm -hmm. in everybody's lives. The idea, um, I know when I started researching the Middle Ages, that the, the notion I got was that there was a sense that God was in the next room. Mm -hmm. He was listening to everything you said. Yes. And serving everything you yes. did. Yes, um, and he wasn't the, the kind of um, comforting... No, it was some sort of fluffy chap up on a cloud somewhere. No, no, not at all. he he was. Uh, you had to to fear God. Yes. It was a way of keeping people. Uh, yeah. And yes, and I think, um, to my mind, the source of that and that I think comes over beautifully in Karen Maitland's book that that oh, you have on your desk. Yes, um, <laughs> the source of that. The idea of God as someone to fear mm -hmm. is the the precariousness of life. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you 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 mentioned earlier um, the risk of childbirth that Margaretta yes. perhaps wisely decided against. Yes, um, one could the, feel the, punished all the time yes. for for their sins and, and mm -hmm. the illnesses, which mm -hmm. because we have antibiotics, we completely take mm -hmm. for granted that we can cure even things like influenza, mm -hmm. um, and those would kill people. Mm -hmm. On a hard winter, you couldn't store your crops, you'd starve. Mm -hmm. You know, it, 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 no wonder they were frightened of course. a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Life was, was, was very was risky. frightening. Yeah, yeah. Very frightening. Really yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. There are the facts, as you say, that you need as a skeleton, but almost more than that, there is this getting into the mind yes. of a time that was so very different Absolutely. to our own. Absolutely. That's very... It's very important because um, if there's one thing that really bothers me when I read some historical novels, and I have it especially with historical fiction on television, I, I, I can hardly watch it most of the time because um, I, I always think, no, no, people of, of that time didn't act like that. They didn't think like that. They would never do such a thing. They would... Um, and um, sometimes I wonder, have you done your research properly? Uh, but I, I, I sound very arrogant now, but... but <laughs> no, I agree with you. Yeah. It, it's not plausible. No. Um, talking about TV and film brings me to dialogue. Um, I don't know how you feel about this, but it's a pet hate of mine when somebody who's writing historical fiction mm -hmm. seems to think that the dialogue must be declamatory. Yes! Full of quothy, yes. it's all got to sound like Game of Thrones. Well, I don't think it did, you know. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Yes, and and but, and, and, and also in, in, in films, uh, they there's someone in the Middle Ages and he, he talks like, it's it's... Everything is very solemn and very grand <laughs> yeah, and very. I, I I I don't believe no, it. I just I don't. don't buy it. No, no. I don't. I mean, yeah. obviously, I guess what comes down to us in official mm -hmm. records, if it's written, 
it's a bit pompous because it's an official record. Of course it but is. But it's not yes. how people talk round the breakfast table no. or out in the fields or, no. you know, when begging on a street corner or whatever it is they're doing. They presumably talk pretty much like us. Yes, of course. And I think um, uh, it, it, it would help, um, but then one would master the art of reading old English and old Dutch, in my case, yes. as well, uh, to, to read the romances that, that, yes. that were written yes. uh, in, in the Middle yes. Ages. There are dialogues yeah. in there who sound very normal and very naughty sometimes. Really and funny. very funny. Yes, funny. yes really funny. I yes. think, I, I think we, mm. we, we, again, because the word romance has taken on a different meaning yes. in our world, People don't realise how very funny they were. It's only if you come at it, say, through Cervantes, who's taking the mick out of the romances, and you know how funny Don Quixote is, <laughs> that you realise how very funny the, the medieval romances are. And as you say, really raunchy. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because yeah. I do think you have to... Because you've got to find a balance. You've got to uh, give that sense of difference but also make these people relatable to modern readers, you yes. be able to say. Yes, um, yes. You have to you find, find some sort of compromise, yeah. I guess. But um, you have a lot of possibilities in a stylistic way to, to do that as well, to make it uh, more accessible without making it too childish yeah. or too obvious. Um, that was something I have been pondering about for quite a long time uh, the the voice the, the tone I would use the, the tense as well started writing in past tense but I have changed everything to present tense oh yeah yeah to very yeah. Um, <clears throat> yes not too too pompous mm. not too pompous to make to keep everything really simple and it works mm. up to now it works I'm glad you. I'm glad you feel it works. The extract yes. that I read, I really enjoyed. Um, I've changed that one oh, all over again course. now. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm just going to have to wait for the finished book, and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll enjoy that. Um, but yeah, I think actually the the sort of historic present is mm -hmm. a really nice way to write historical fiction because it brings it makes it yes. very immediate. Yes. You you mentioned not sounding childish, and you are of course. A very distinguished writer of books for young adults, mm -hmm. and you've recently run a big prize for doing that. <laughs> for which, huge congratulations! Thank and you. I wonder how you, how differently you work when writing for young mm -hmm. adults and writing for proper adults. <laughs> mm -hmm. Whether there's a difference in your approach. Um, it's never childish. <laughs> no, of course not. Even when I write for for younger children, yeah. uh, as I did in my book for children 10 11 11 years old but um, um there is hardly any difference between writing for an adult audience and a young adult audience um it's uh what well, the, the only difference i can see is that my um main character is young is a teenager mm -hmm. and that you might call it a coming of age book yeah. uh but um well, many adults read my young adult books as well, and and most of them ask the same question: Why is this called a book for young people? Why is it a, teen, a book for teenagers? Why why don't they just publish it as an, a novel for adults? 
and then I think I don't know. <laughs> um, I I think because I have been a, a writer of children and young adult books for so many years, and people like to categorize yes. books, and and it's it's a shame. It's a pity. Yeah. Uh, even with my book, um, my children's book on World War One, um, that man, that's read by many adults, and even of that book they say I think it's a book for adults that uh, can be read by children mm. as well um, so but I do feel a bit of difference when I write for children um, not for young adults but when I write for children I really have to get um, to make things more accessible without being down on my knees to yeah. talk to them yeah um, I need to, to get into their heads but on the other hand I, I always do that mm. whenever I write for, for children or young adults or adults um, but I, I still remember so well what I was like when I was a child what I felt what I thought um, and um, you, you need to think of the things that they can take in as mm -hmm. a child yeah um, that doesn't mean that when you obviously when you write about World War one you, you can't uh, leave out all the horror and all the awful things you can't leave out death no. you can't leave out fear um, so and it's 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 a, it's a stupid sort of Disneyfication to think that children can't cope with that kind that, of thing. Of exactly, course they can. They can. You know, it, 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 it's all part of life. They can, and and children. Children live through those. Wars yes, and, they, they, and and, and them, you know. if they just here, they just have to read it. I mean, some children have um, horrible things in their actual they life. They do indeed. Yeah. They, yes, they 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 they're. they're battered or they are that's horrible things happen to them uh, so why wouldn't children be able to read a book about things and and, and it's a, it's a styled way of telling a yeah. story it's uh, I, I think children are incredibly strong sometimes yes. Um, yes, I think you're right and they take in what whatever they're up to you know what I mean um, so 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 they can they can make their own limits mm. very often they um yes so so i in it but it was quite a challenge to write about the horror and about death and about all the things that that come along with a war without scaring them away yeah. So I tried to do it in a, a very simple, somewhat poetic language. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting what you say about the way people market fiction for different groups. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know when I was young, there was no such thing as a young adult fiction. Mm -hmm. We read what are described as adult books. We were reading the Brontes, for example. Oh, yes. People like that. Oh. Um, and um, it, now there is this sort of categorization, but I think it's for marketing, really, rather than. I suppose it is. Readers. I suppose it is. Yeah. Yes. I, actually, I, I, I really don't 
care when people ask me what what's well, for what age are you writing that book I don't care it's not my problem yeah. I write what I have to write what yeah. I what I want to write uh, and and all the rest is is um, is my for my publisher yes. and and for the marketing people yes. around them so uh, and I was also thinking about um, if we go back to the Middle Ages the chances are that one's protagonists actually will be teenagers because people grew up so much more quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, not Margareta, obviously, but women were often married in their mid-teens. Yes. They were mothers they were. by the time they were 16 or 17. Yes. People lived, unless they were the aristocracy, I think the average lifespan was somewhere between 30 and 35. Mm-hmm you are presenting these people as adults actually in our terms they're not they're, they're no. very very young that's true but now now that you mention it i'm currently writing about margarita as a teenager hmm. yes that's where i'm at this point yes. right now so yeah so do you think um are you is your premise that will you have margarita will do you think she worked on the altarpiece or are you having her doing her own art different kind of art? Um, I think, uh, and, and some art historians think the same, uh, although it, there, there's no, no actual evidence of it, but I think she might have worked on the altar mm. piece. Um, since uh, her name was found on the same gravestone as uh, the one of her older brother, Hubert, um, she she must have lived with him in Ghent, mm. so the gravestone was in Ghent. And what? Why would she would she have been in Ghent? Hubert came to Ghent solely because he had to to paint for for uh, uh, the city council yeah. and and for, for he had to paint the the, the the altarpiece. So what other reasons could there have been that then mm. that Margarita also? Came helped him. him. Yes, yes. Do do we know how long a life she lived? No, we have no idea. Uh, we don't know. We don't know when she was born. We don't know when she died. So that gives me a lot of freedom yes. to tell my story. We, it's actually just those two things I just men mentioned: mm -hmm. being a virgin and a painter, yeah. and that's all. And um, do we know where she was in the family? No, so we not don't even, even know whether that. she was older or younger. No, than, she than the brothers. must have been younger than Hubert. Uh, Hubert, uh, I think we know of him that he was the oldest one mm. of the Van Eyck's. Uh, we we know a lot about Jan's life. The the, the one who finished. He is the best known, isn't he? Yes. He's best yes. known, yes, yeah. because many of his paintings uh, have been. Uh, are still there yeah. um, Beautiful and we lovely wonderful we know a lot about his life mainly because he worked for uh, Philip de Good yes. one of the Dukes of Burgundy and um, everything around Philip de Good has been documented so we know everything about Jan yeah. we know that he wasn't only his personal painter that we know he was a valet uh, of Philip de Good we know uh, he traveled to the to Middle East uh, uh, for Philip de Good to wow. Portugal yeah, uh, to exciting. paint uh, the portraits of Isabella who, who was to be the third yes. wife of Philip de Good we know all um, these things about Jan medieval uh, equivalent of Photoshop <laughs> yes 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 just or a photograph just, yes uh i'll photoshop also, probably make yes her look, you know, yes smooth out the irregularities yes. And... oh yes yes <laughs> of course 
Um, so, um, and, and, and he was also responsible for all the decorations in all the residences of Philip the Good. It's, it's amazing that he even found the time to finish the Ghent altarpiece yeah. after the death of, uh, of his older brother. It's, uh, it's uh, astonishing he, he, he did finish it because he had amazing, so man. many things to do. Yeah. Yes. Um, so do you think, um, if we go back to Margareta, do you think she would have died before Jan? Do you think she, I mean, if she's buried with the older brother, do you get the impression Jan was sort of left on his I'm own? I'm still struggling uh, a bit on that, one. on that one. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I want her to live long enough. <laughs> I want her to go to the Middle East and Portugal and places <laughs> as well. <I> mean. <laughs> yes. Um... Uh, I think it's um, it's probable that she didn't live very long since she was on the same gravestone as yeah. her older brother. Um, of course, um, there's a possibility, a slight possibility, that her name was engraved later on mm -hmm. uh, in the same mm -hmm. gravestone. We don't have the gravestone anymore. It has been documented, um, I think, 200 years after Hubert's death that the gravestone was in the cathedral in Ghent and has been removed. It's not possible for us to, to check on that stone. So is there, do you know where the grave is in the cathedral? Can you go and visit her grave? No. Oh, how No, sad. there's nothing left. Yeah. And it helps me to, to go to those places that already existed in the 15th century. Yeah. Uh, for example, the place where... The, the exact spot by the river where Ghent was founded, the, the first things that were built, um, the St. Bavon Abbey, uh, so beautiful. You can still go there. On They open it on weekend days. There, there are rooms um, and it's, uh, it has a wonderful garden and such a peaceful, serene place. And... It just makes me feel good, and, and perhaps someone who, who isn't into history or anything may find that a bit ridiculous, but just touching the stones and feeling yes. history and... Really, I totally so, get that. Yes. I totally get that. But you think, I mean, again, this is a, I think this is another interesting thing. It's again a slight tangent, but do you think that historical fiction has a useful function for people who think they aren't interested in history? But actually, if you uh, give it them as yes, an um, adventure or a love story or a story of some kind of proto-feminism or what have you... Yes. Uh, well, I, I, um, I go a lot to uh, libraries and schools to, uh, to talk yeah. to uh, young people, yeah. um, to children, teenagers. And um, sometimes you, you just feel that they, when, when they, they think of history, they think of having to study all those dates and the names of yes. wars and the names yes. of kings and um and and sometimes it's it's really presented to them like that which is such a pity which mm. is such a shame and i always tell them it's just how you perceive history how you talk about history to me history is just one big adventure in the past it's so interesting it is, yeah. it's about you and me it's about ordinary people uh, in extraordinary times sometimes uh, or in very ordinary times because the history that has been recorded 
is is all is, is you think it's all extraordinary but yes actually, it's, all, it's, it's not it's not like that <laughs> it's not like that um uh most of the time people just went on leading their yeah. dull lives i think um but um and then i start telling them about the books i have written and why i have written them and what is so intriguing about uh the people then in 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 and and the whole um atmosphere in those days and the way people thought and what was considered normal and what was considered not done and then every time again i see some of the teenagers especially who are sitting in the back just a bit with a face like oh yes, no, no yeah. who's, who's yeah. what are you going to tell us <laughs> <laughs> but you you start to, to cool. see the sparkle in their eyes often and they really get interested and i always hear uh after my 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 reading there that um in the library the books are you're, <laughs> you're out. out they're yeah. going out yeah. so i think it does have an effect probably for some of them only temporary probably not on all of them because you, you can't get everybody uh to read it's just it's that's an illusion but if there are once in a while it happens i'm, I'm already very yeah. very happy i mean i i think it i think it has a, I, speaking personally it was my way into history i ended up studying history at university but i started with historical books when i was a little girl i don't know about you i, I how you oh, came yes. to it you know i i i uh, but i didn't study history i'm i'm just a self-made student i think um but um but i, I loved historical mm. novels mm. but where the first and the first one that really um moved me or touched me um it was not a historical novel but it was when i was 12 year old um, my mother gave me Anne frank's diary oh yeah yes and i i read the book and i was so impressed and one of my biggest frustrations was that she had died before I had even been born. Yeah. And I was so sure that she would have made a very good friend. <laughs> that she, <laughs> We probably would have been best friends. I thought, she is really interesting. We could have had so many wonderful conversations. There is that in Anne Frank's writing, isn't there? There's, oh. a, there's a marvelous directness yes. and, and universality of... A young girl's experience in there, despite yes. the strange way in which she was living. You know? Yes, I loved her, and um, I, I was almost crying because I, I would never get the chance to meet her. And that's something that has occur occurred on many occasions. That I thought all those interesting people who have been living in the past, who yeah. I would have loved to know and talk to. Them. Writing historical fiction is one way of getting closer to them. It's one of the reasons I do it. Um, and my my um, one of my neighbors, uh, who has unfortunately died uh, recently, was a professor of history, mm -hmm. and he said um, writing about history is just uh, putting a nose up. Would we say that? How do you to, to um, sticking your tongue out to death? Oh, I see. Yes. yes. Thumbing your nose at. Ah, okay. Say, thumbing your nose at. It's this. Thumbing your nose <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so or sticking yes. your tongue out to yes. death. Yeah. Just saying you're not there. You don't exist. 
I'm going to live in the past anyway, or I'm going to make these people alive again yes. anyway. Whatever you do, whatever yeah. you, whatever you try. Yeah. yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. I like that. Very optimistic way of putting it. <laughs> and history is really important. Um, it is. It is. It helps you to understand things about the present. But um, what... Well, uh, I've read a book... Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, about the of, of, um, a journalist, a Belgian journalist, Mark Reinebo, uh, and um, well, you could translate the title as the the use of history. What, what, what use has history? Oh yes, oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, and he's a historian himself, if I'm not mistaken. But he said we have to be, history is extremely important. History teaches us all sort of things, we think. But when you look at what's happening in every time, in, in every decade, in every century, we have to conclude that we don't learn anything. I think in Belgium, uh, in schools, history is still taught in, from, yeah, well, in a traditional way, uh, let's say, from a very European point of yes. view. Uh, and um, I, I always try to, to balance it a bit when I, when I talk to young people, for example, when uh, they learn about Christopher Columbus, who uh, supposedly discovered America. Um, I, people there before he got there. Yes, <laughs> and I said, how can you discover a continent where there were so many people exactly. already. What? Yeah. How? How arrogant is it to say that he discovered? Totally agree. Yes, and well, he, he gets all the credits for 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 being the first European to to have set foot on 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 the ground there. But the, the Vikings uh, um, probably have done that before him as well. But it's so uh, arrogant and so Eurocentric. Yeah. Uh, really so and that's what I try to uh, well I, I try to change that image a little bit uh, also when I talk about the the colonies you had everywhere um, um, I, I just try to to to, um, to tell a bit about the context it was in those days that Europe wanted to conquer the whole world mm. what, 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 this mm. uh, and this discovering of america was and and what happened afterwards this is just one of these yeah. many horrible chapters in history and and how they 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 traveled traveled to um senegambia and the west coast of africa to to abduct thousands and thousands of africans mm. and send them to the the beautiful new world and uh, the promised land and uh, where they could be sold as slaves and I think if you would ask to tell them their history that would be, we would get a completely different story. Yeah. This raises for me the question I wonder what you think about the tendency we certainly have in this country now to uh, not acknowledge our past so for example the city of Bristol here which mm -hmm. was very largely built on on the slave trade mm -hmm. um, it, there is a, a big hall there, sort of Philharmonic Hall, where they have concerts and things like that. Mm -hmm. There's been a huge campaign to change its name because it was named after the man who originally endowed it, who was a slave trader. Uh -huh. Now, 
I understand that. But I also think that there is a danger if you do that, that you forget the difficult history. Yes. You, you, you know, that there's a... By saying, oh, these people should not be honoured, you are also saying they should not be acknowledged. And if they're not acknowledged, then I think that's dishonest. Then you leave out part of history. Yeah. Yes. And, yes. you know, we all have good and bad in our history and you mm -hmm. must confront both equally, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I understand what you mean. Um, we have had uh, recent discussions about um, the Africa Museum we have. Uh, one of our kings, a um, very infamous king, Leopold, Leopold II. <laughs> uh, yes, must have Colourful been a, figure. <laughs> a horrible uh, man. The things he did in, in the Congo um, were, well, there are no words to describe uh, what, what, what he did, the massacres and, and, and everything. Um, Yes, I think there are still streets named after him. Mm. But the the museum has recently been reopened and has been um, everything that reminds of the colonial past has been erased. And um, it feels a bit strange. Mm. I, I think um, it would have been more useful if they had still implemented all those memories and mm. but but in a different way not in the triumph triumph triumphing way they, yes. they did before like not celebrating not celebrating the whole colonial past but just giving evidence in in a more neutral way not leaving it out mm. uh, i think that might have been more made of made more sense than, than what they I, I, have done. I think that's right. I think that you, 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 you have to know that it's there. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that you condone it. I mean, it's very clear that, that, that neither you nor many Belgians would condone King Leopold. Mm -hmm. And there are incidents in my country's past which are, you know, excruciatingly embarrassing and painful. Mm -hmm. But they are there. Mm -hmm. And I can't... I think it's wrong to, to, to deny their existence, mm -hmm. actually. Because every story that's worth telling should be told, I think. I agree. <laughs> thanks for listening and thanks to Kathleen for chatting with us. Keep an eye out for the Walking Norwich book, which comes out next week. If you have any questions or want to get in touch, you can follow Simon on Twitter at Tarnamus. You can follow me at Steph X McKenna. And Alice Kent doesn't have any social media platforms. So uh, you can probably send her a postcard or a stamped address envelope to Dragon Hall. Yeah, I think you should. Yeah, do send me a postcard. I'd love to get a postcard. I do enough social media during my working day. That's that's plenty for me. Yeah, you can send her a postcard and tell her about the walking tours that you've been enjoying. Yeah, yeah take a photo while you're doing the More walk and send it. That that's what we yeah, need in our lives. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and if you'd like to contact the National Centre for Writing, um, you can find us on Twitter at Writers Centre. We're on Facebook. If you look up the National Centre for Writing, we're on Instagram at Writers Centre. And you can sign up for our newsletter by visiting the website nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. Please do subscribe to our podcast on any of your podcast platforms. And um, please do rate and review us as well, because it really helps. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.